Well, I'm here with Caitlin to talk about fake CVEs, but first, a tiny Caribbean island. Yeah, a tiny Caribbean island is going to make a ton of money. Um, actually, let me pull let me pull up the article for you right now. Um, aha. Uh, so the tiny Caribbean island, um, uh, yeah, could reportedly add ten percent to its GDP. Thanks to the AI boom, how is this possible? So this is that's the title of the article. This is by from the Insider, written by Pete Syme. Now the the island in question is Anguilla, and it has the fortunate um, domain name of .ai. So all these people in the during the AI boom that want something .ai are basically going to be funneling money into Anguilla, making it a very profitable island just by pure happenstance. Whoever named it got very lucky. So they're going to be making a lot of money um, from all the people making the .ai domains. Yeah, before this, it was Tuvalu because of .tv. Yep, exactly. Well, I've got a bunch of AI stories. Um, I, I heard the Jordan Harbinger podcast. It's a podcast where he interviews all kinds of people. And he interviewed Mark Andreessen, who was big, big on the internet. And Mark Andreessen is part of Andreessen Horowitz, which is sort of the most crazy Silicon Valley venture capitalist and, and a huge pusher of the AI thing. And so he, of course, says they shouldn't regulate AI. They shouldn't be afraid of AI. None of that bad stuff is going to happen. Instead, it's going to change the world forever. And we're all going to get rich and wonderful off it, which is what you'd expect him to say. But he backs it up pretty well. And he says the people that are panicking over AI are just reproducing the same panic they've had over every other technological advance, like the steam drill and the typewriter and everything else, which he makes a pretty good case for that. But he referred to an article, which I was not aware of, in Time Magazine from March, when he described this in outrageous terms. So I looked and he said, in the first place, in Time Magazine, this article written by um, Eliezer Yudkowsky is uh, considered influential by government people. He said, uh, non-technical government executives like to read this. And his point here is a response to Elon Musk's article about how we should have a six-month pause in the AI. He said, no, six-month pause isn't good enough. We have to abandon this whole thing entirely because it might turn into the end of the human race, which is what Elon Musk's letter said. And therefore, it's like nuclear weapons. It's going to destroy the world. And therefore, what we have to do is put government monitoring chips on every AI data center so we can monitor what they're doing. And if we don't like it, we can shut them down. And if anybody like China makes AI data centers that do not have this monitoring in place um, and create a rogue AI, we should bomb it. And if that seems like that might cause a nuclear war, well, that's a small risk compared to letting AI loose. And uh, so that's that's a pretty outrageous position. And when I heard Mark Andreessen, I said, he, surely he is exaggerating the government position, but he is not. So that's uh, that's it's interesting to see the two positions. And I certainly prefer um, Mark Andreessen's to this preemptive shutting down of everything. Because I don't, I think... He's right. AI is just a tool. It's not going to become self-aware and trample us into the earth. It's just going to be used as a tool by humans. Um, anyway, uh, there are some more AI so, stuff. I was talking together. Go oh, ahead. Oh, before you continue. So one of the articles I was considering submitting today is the fact that a lot of people are faking knowledge in AI uh, as part of their job. So a lot of people are pretending to know about AI when they don't really know about machine learning. 
And um, I think this is coming across uh, in a lot of our policies where a lot of people are assuming that, you know, AI is thinking that it, it it's going to have some great purpose. I mean, right now it is just taking inferences based on what it has learned from and then making plausible predictions, which is absolutely nothing new in mathematics. Uh, what's new is the fact that, you know, we have algorithms that can make predictions based off words using like what 108 dimensional space or something like that well a, a trillion parameters yeah exactly yeah so you just you just have this huge data set and you can just make predictions about what's going to come next i mean if i told you i have a i have a set one two three four what comes next you would say a five and you'd be right and that's what ai is essentially doing but but fancier um, yeah. it, it is not thinking, it has no understanding of the world. Uh, but I think a lot of people are misunderstanding what AI is and what machine learning is doing. And that is coming across in a lot of our policies. Yes. And I think, but all my life, I've heard the same thing. There's a saying in Washington, for every expert, there is an equal and opposite expert. It's been the issue for my whole life that you have a bunch of non-technical people in Washington that do not understand math and science at all. And so they just listen to paid shills from like the tobacco lobby and the oil lobby to tell them things. And they regard science as just a matter of who paid for the guy with the perhaps more prettier suit to claim it's true. And they just don't really believe there is any scientific truth. They just see it all as uh, as which side is more popular today or something. That wouldn't make so much sense for what we see in, in politics today. Yeah, well, they're just trying to ride the wave of sentiment. You know, like you can watch the whole Republican Party lining up behind nonsense that Trump and Vivek Ramaswamy says, which they know is garbage, but that just happens to be popular right now. And they're really no different than like a, a, a pop star trying to write a song that will be popular because it just is trendy right now. They don't see any actual significance or responsibility in what they're doing. They're just trying to ride the wave. Anyway, one thing, um, which are not... AI advances are impressive. And um, there's a video highly worth watching at Ars Technica, an article by Benj Edwards. This guy made a drone which drives itself. And I didn't believe it when I first read this. I thought there would be an AI computer remote controlling the drone, but that is not what happened. There's a, there's a game. I was unaware of this. There's a video game people play where you take a drone and you put a camera on it and then you wear a headset. So you have a heads up display of seeing what's on the drone. And then you drive the drone through an obstacle course, trying to pass through gates really fast. So it's sort of like a motorcycle race virtually. And this is a real sport and there's world champions at this. And they made an AI drone, which has the AI on the drone flying with a little tiny computer, and it wins. It beats all humans at this, doing the fastest route. And they said it only takes one hour to train it. So I'm very surprised. I'm not too surprised that an AI can beat a human at this, but I'm very surprised that it can do it without having to have like a powerful server there doing the calculations. Uh, however, they describe how it works, and it's really very clever. They didn't just train it on random pixels from the webcam, they carefully wrote routines that will locate the gate and mark the angles of the gate and give it some really useful input data that's very accurate to use to feed into the AI. So this is a mixture of modern um, artificial intelligence learning and carefully choosing using the old-fashioned technique of trying to find salient features to feed in 
So it doesn't have to do the outrageous job of taking, you know, like 4,000 pixels and deciding which part of that is objects and which part of that is moving or something. They, they've uh, they greatly improved the efficiency of it that way. So I think this is quite instructive at guiding people to make better machine learning algorithms. And there's a couple more. Um, one big complaint about AI is it's super expensive and it costs millions of dollars to train and it costs like many dollars to do each search. Uh, so, But these these guys decided to question that. And at Hacker Noon, they got an article here where they managed to generate 9 million images in 24 hours for a total cost of $1,800 using cloud resources. So somehow they found it to be much, much more efficient. And that's, of course, a huge leap forward because uh, one thing that people have said is going to limit the growth of AI is the lack of GPUs and the incredible amount of electricity and power and everything and time required. But apparently there are more and more intelligent algorithms to get around that for at least some cases. And the last one, is IBM and almost, you may remember this, IBM, Microsoft, and everybody about three years ago abandoned facial recognition because the early tests of it where the police would use it to arrest people were disasters. And they said, it doesn't work. It's biased. It's going to give lead to huge legal problems. So they all promised not to do it. And IBM, after promising not to do it, is just plain doing it with a $70 million contract um, to a government um I forget where the government is. I think it's not America. But anyway, they made a contract with the government, with the British government, to develop a national biometric platform that will have facial recognition for law enforcement officials, exactly what they said they were not going to do because it won't work. They're just totally doing it. And they're going to use it to, like, scan everybody and make a database of what everybody is doing everywhere, which is, you know, just the sort of scary big brother totalitarian stuff that... Uh, everybody said they would not do. So, however, if you remember, IBM also set up the South African racial identity system with cards so that they could have a complicated race-based apartheid system. So, you know, it's not the first time they've gone along with uh, horrible government policies just to make a buck. Anyway, uh, that's the AI stories I had. And now let's hear about the Deep Space Network. Oh, well, Deep Space Network is not doing so good, apparently. Uh, so spacenews.com. You got you, you have to trust spacenews.com. <laughs> what a great name for a website. Anyway, spacenews.com has an article written by Jeff Faust talking about NASA's Deep Space Network reaching a quote-unquote critical point. Notice this is the author putting in the scare quotes, not just me. Um and, and so what's happening? What's going on with the Deep Space Network? So I don't think there's anything else interesting to look at in this article, so I will uh, stop sharing. The The Deep Space Network is the internet for things in outer space, right? So on Earth, we use the internet, but if you want to contact something off of the internet uh, in like beyond geostationary orbit, you would use the Deep Space Network. This is because things on the internet use TCP IP, which sort of assumes a maximum delay of a few millis a few hundred milliseconds, maybe up to two seconds. Whereas if you're dealing with probes in space, you have to have a tolerance <laughs> protocol to delays, a delay tolerance networking, if you will. Um, and so the way it's it set up is that there's three sites across the world. There's one in Goldstone, California, one in Australia, and one in Spain. And it, they're all like 120 degrees apart. 
so they can view any area of space at any given time. Uh, it's funded by NASA. Um, and like I said, anything beyond geostationary orbit is just placed on the Deep Space Network. Now, it has been losing funding for a while, and they've become more efficient. Uh, the problem is that we have the Artemis missions going back up to the moon. And these Artemis missions are taking CubeSats and stuff with them, further exp you know, increasing the problem, right? So you have not just more missions going outside of, of you know, geostationary orbit, but you also have, um, you know, those missions carrying missions themselves. So it's a exponential problem and they're just running out of resources. And these resources are really important because at any given time, they can only listen to or send data from a select number of satellites. So if they are getting data from a CubeSat around the moon, they can't get or send data to the James Webb Space Telescope. I mean, for example, or from Mars or from Jupiter. Uh, so, you know, this is this is a huge problem. And they're going to have to just upgrade the DSN. Uh, unfortunately, the trend recently has been to defund the DSN to make it as less of a, you know, financial burden as possible. But they're they're just going to have to reverse course at this point and probably set up additional uh, sites as well for the deep space network. And it's just, it's, it's going to be a big thing. Yeah. That would seem to be object obvious thing like internet too. They clearly need a new protocol that can handle more data on a different frequency range or something. It's, it's not the frequency range. Uh, they just need more antennas on the ground and they need more servers. Uh, they had a, I remember there was a, like one, they didn't have any backups. So like a, a few years ago, like a, a cloud machine, went down and like the DSN just went down for a few hours. I mean, imagine if that happened on the internet. If like, we're like, you know, we're just gonna cheap out on the internet. And, you know, we have like one one router connecting the United States to Europe. And if that goes down, oh, well, the internet's just down for the day. I mean, that would be unacceptable, but that's what's going on with the DSN. Yeah. Well, there was a time when the internet was like that. I was just talking yeah. about class when everybody had just one DNS server and when it went down, your whole company would just vanish, but, but we're past that. <laughs> Right, right. We're, we're past that on the internet. We know how to design networks now, thanks to the internet. We, we need to apply that to the DSN, because as we are moving more towards a space-based economy, uh, we're going to really need that infrastructure set up and ready to go. Yeah. All right. Now I got the one that I put the title in from uh, Risky Biz News, which has changed to have like a detailed, in-depth article that has high of each one, and a very good one, points out uh, I, I was on Paul's security podcast and they were talking about a stupid CVE of an open source product that claimed that it was 9.8 when in fact it didn't even seem like a vulnerability at all. And I'm not sure this is part of the same thing, but somebody programmed AI to go through all the published code of open source projects and find vulnerabilities and automatically get CVEs for them, often old vulnerabilities that were patched long ago. So there's now a flood of CVE vulnerability reports coming in to all the open source maintainers that are bogus and fake AI generated. And they're having to waste huge amounts of time with their ponderous process of manually protesting a CVE and send, writing up documents to go in for review and bothering developers to explain like, what is this bug you patched years ago? And was it really a vulnerability and stuff like that? So it's a sort of a, scientific DDoS attack on the open source community. And, uh, you know, it's what, like many other parts of, uh, of our system, it's being disrupted by spam created by machine learning. 
and flooding through the real vulnerability reports. Boy, I, I can tell you how hard it is to get anybody to care about a real vulnerability report. This is the last thing we need, a bunch of junk mail vulnerability reports making people or even more inclined to just ignore them. So anyway, uh, let's go back to you with the hackers shutting down the telescopes. Yeah, so as people on the podcast may know, I've been in a bit of a telescope phase myself. Um, in fact- For your whole I'll, life, I would say, but- Yeah, um, so actually I'll, I'll, I'll show off my current image, which is a failed image of the Crescent Nebula. I'm going to try again as soon as it's not cloudy. I checked the weather reports. It's it's going to be cloudy for a while. Uh, um, so I, it'll be at least until next week at the well, earliest. You really need to upgrade your software to punch through the clouds. I've mentioned <laughs> this before and you haven't done it yet. It, it, this is a much harder issue than I think you realize, Sam. But anyway, uh-huh. um, so I've been I've been building telescopes. So, of course, um, the uh, some hackers took down two big telescopes. Um, and so I'll pull up the article right here. So this is on uh, space.com. Uh, this is by Brett Tingley. Um, and, you know, no one knows exactly what the motivations of the hackers were, but uh, some hackers got into uh, Knower Lab, which, and this was on August 1st, so this happened a, a while ago. Um, and they shut down the Gemini North and Gemini South telescopes. So Gemini North is in Hawaii and Gemini South is in Chile. And so if we look, I, I was looking for these. So this is apparently Gemini North, uh, this this thing right here. Um, so it looks like just one giant telescope rather than an array of telescopes. And Gemini South, this is, this is Gemini South. Um, I don't, this looks like a standard giant telescope uh but anyway but these are these are big telescopes um and they they just got in and they took down these these telescopes no one knows exactly what their what the cyber attacks were intended to do but in the end they they took down uh some vital scientific resources which is no good which presumably means that those scientific resources are running old software that wasn't secured enough oh that uh, oh i mean if you go into any major lab you'll you'll find like the, the critical infrastructure running on altair 80s i mean you know it's it's just <laughs> well that's the problem is it's just from yeah. passage of time they probably yeah. put up something that was considered good enough at the time and like the satellites we were talking about a month ago they probably assumed that nobody would attack them right exactly they 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 create this really cool infrastructure and it's good and it's fine and but you know no one's it's very exciting to build something it's not so exciting to maintain it and upgrade it slowly over time yeah. uh so and that and that's just what's, what happens um infrastructure is just boring so no one wants to pay the money for it yeah we see this in government we see this in labs um see this in telescopes so and i've seen it at all the colleges i've worked at um it is nobody wants to pay for like janitorial supplies or to replace the worn out linoleum, they want to build like a new library and put your name on it. So the buildings are all kind of run and falling down and falling apart. And then they're always building new ones. Right. And, and I'm okay with, with replacing old buildings with new ones, if, if that's the case. But like I said, this is just, this is just human nature. Um, we just don't, infrastructure is not, not exciting. We should make, we should find ways. Psychologists really need to find ways to make infrastructure exciting for people. 
Yeah, I hear another version of this I hear about is in politics. They talk about how uh, one crazy person says something stupid and they get all the headlines because nobody writes 10 stories about planes that didn't crash and bills that passed and things that got properly funded and operated normally. That's not news. The news is the crazy bad thing. Right. It's the crazy bad thing. So what we could do is whenever we're not maintaining infrastructure, just have a huge amount of sensationalist headlines about potholes in the roads destroying our country. There we go. Well, you see, our electrical grid is going to destroy us all if we don't upgrade it. There we go. Well, see, you have to somehow make yeah. a case for that. Yeah. It would make more sense than AI. Potholes are actually a problem. I remember like 20 years, maybe 10 years ago, the Chinese government made a big deal about the potholes. And they, some guy decided to film some people falling off bicycles at the pothole. And it, it, this video went viral and made people upset about the potholes. And the main thing I noticed is the government blamed the photographer for not helping people and instead photographing them falling down. But anyway. Yeah. But, but that, that's what, we, re, that's what we, re, we really need to do. I know it, it's not exciting to, to necessarily to cover infrastructure and maintenance, but it is important, and you can you can definitely figure out ways to make it exciting for people to watch. Yeah, this is essentially the job of investigative journalism, like ProPublica is really good at this, exposing scandals like Clarence Thomas's bribery and stuff. Yep. Dig up some stuff and then make a good story out of it. Yeah. All right. And, and the last one I got here I thought was charming. Uh, Sophos.com has a story about there that we already know there's contests like Pwn to Own and CTFs for security researchers, but I was unaware of the fact that cyber criminal forums have crime CTFs and crime contests with cash prizes to develop better crimeware. And they've had several of these. Yes, somehow I thought of you, Caitlin. Um, so they had um, contests suggesting things like um, non-standard ways of extracting private keys and wallets, um, staking farming and lending so you can make money, mining, you know, software for working with cryptocurrencies. They just have, you know, contests to write better crimeware. And uh, it's interesting to read. It's like the whole underground economy is just a mirror image of the above ground economy. I remember a few years ago when the crime kits started having licenses and product keys and punishments for pirating them and stuff. You know, all the same stuff happens on the other side. So anyway, uh, that sort of completes the symmetry of the world. And uh, that's all I got. Have you got any more comments? No, I, I think that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I thought of sending it to you. Maybe you should apply anyway. But uh, I, I like having my security clearance and I like being able to travel around the world. Freely, I know so. what I thought about that is I uh, the time I went to China and I wanted to teach a cryptography class and the DEF CON people said, oh, no, you can't do that. And then a couple of years later, there was the guy who actually went to North Korea to teach him cryptography and got in a world of trouble. So, uh, you know, you don't want to be the guy doing that. Right. All right. So I'm, uh, that's it for this one. And it'll have another one on Tuesday.